Welcome to episode 56 of the Men Who Save Football, the Dundalk FC fancast. Guys, it's the morning after the defeat in Tala. 3-1 was the final scoreline. Was that a fair reflection of the relative strengths of the squads as they are right now? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think looking at the game, can't complain. Well, we can complain about a few things, which we'll get to. But um, the result, I think, was fair enough. The margin was fair enough. Um, I don't know, maybe the three of us are going to have three different perspectives on the game, but I'll tell you what I think. I know a, a bunch of people are saying uh, in the second half, the second half, a game of two halves. But for me, it was really a game of one-third and two-thirds. I think the first half hour was significant, and then the the the, 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 the hour after that. Um, I think we started really well. So the first half hour is the positive stuff, I think. I, I think we started pretty smartly. I think someone said Rovers haven't won a game in four games. Um, and so their form's pretty bad. Uh, they haven't looked great anytime I've seen them. Um, and we started sprightly. We got the early goal. Uh, I think we were confident. I think we, we kept the ball well. Um, got the early goal, and I thought, oh, wow, okay. this is Because to be honest with you, I was going into the game dreading it. I'm not going to lie. Uh, I'm just going to be really honest. Uh, really nervous all day long. People I was talking to was really nervous. Um, really was not looking forward to it. Um, but then it started quite brightly, uh, and I thought for that first half hour, uh, we looked pretty good. And then, other than the goal, I think, well, there's two other significant incidents. Uh, Pat Hoban's miss, well, not miss, but he got saved, okay, uh, from really close range. And then the penalty uh, shout. Um, I know it's a bit stupid to talk about if, 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 had this happened, you know, in football and in life, you drive yourself crazy talking about this stuff. But... One thing I will say, I know a lot of people have been questioning Hoban's um, commitment, but I think like, he was in the right position um, and he's proven what he can do. It's just something, in recent games, this is happening as well. He has missed a few quote-unquote sitters uh, in previous games and I don't know what it is. Is it a confidence or whatever, Gash? But um, I think he, like, if that had gone in, it's a very different game. And then we had the, the penalty shout, which we're all going to get into. I know, Ken, you were there at the game, so you've one perspective on it. Um, it was a penalty all day long to the, till the end of time. Um, it just is a penalty. It, you know, that's like, he bundles over him. I think the only thing you can say is because of the way Scales goes down, maybe it's a bit confusing, but he goes down on top of him. Like, he goes down on top of him. It's like a belly flop wrestler, you know? Um and for me, that's a penalty. We'll get into that. But then the other significant thing I, I was thinking about is at a half hour mark, uh, Sloggett goes off. And after Sloggett goes off, in the next 10 minutes, they get the two goals. And it's all downhill from there. So Sloggett goes off and is replaced by Sahibo. And we might have some discussion about Sahibo, but I just, I just think we weren't the same after that. Um, and we lost any kind of control there in the midfield and they just grew and grew and grew in confidence. And I mean, their goals were great goals, but I think they knew they could challenge a BB. Okay. I think they knew we can take these shots because they've got a very weak link. Um, and I think they thought about that before they went in. Let's just take these shots because they don't have a particularly good keeper. And then the second half, ah, that was always going to be the result all day long. And setting off, we lost any any semblance of a plan. Battering the ball upfield, no composure, um, and 
there's very little I think even needed to talk about the second half because it was what it was. I wouldn't really take any particular issue with Vivi's performance for any of those goals. Like I, I don't think any of the goals that were scored by Rovers, I would have expected any goalkeeper to save. Like certainly not the Gannon goal. Okay, maybe the Scales goal uh, was a bit further out and you know a bit more time to set himself. But even so, like I thought it was a, a great strike. Um, I watching particularly the second half. Like I was reminded a little bit of something that Martin Brunel used to say in uh, in the Formula One commentary. He said like sometimes the worst thing uh, if you're a driver is to be out in the track and the car feels fine, but it's just slow. So like there's no one thing that you can put your finger on and say like that is bad it's not working instead it's just an overall kind of you know um non-competitive sort of aspect and i thought it was the the same with the the second half performance from dundalk and maybe this is coming back i think to, to ken's original question of you know was there just a a difference in quality between the sides like i don't think shamrock overs played particularly well uh, I don't think they, you know, battered uh, us or had a lot of shots in goal or it was, you know, sort of last ditch defending from us a lot of the time. Most of the time we actually looked pretty comfortable. Uh, we just didn't threaten them really at all. Uh, as Rory says, like the first third of the match was good, but once Rovers got in front, like they sat a bit deeper and there was just nothing that we could really do about it. Um, I think both of their first two goals came from them just pressing really, really high against us. Uh, and I think we sort of lacked the the ability to sort of motivate them to not do that. Like, uh, I know we had Duffy sort of further down the field, but I don't know if we had enough pace up front uh, to, like, make them cautious about, like, having to defend a bit deeper. Instead, like, they were pressing us right up on the, the edge of the 18-yard the box, which is where the, those first two goals both came from. And um, I think probably for the first one at least i think we lacked uh like that bit of composure in the middle of the field uh greg sluggard had just gone off like we failed to sort of get the ball under control and sort of you know make a, a series of passes on the break uh, and instead you know scales picked it up had a lot of time to you know sort of pick his spot and uh, had a really good goal but you know with chris shields gone with greg sluggard off uh with a lack of another more dynamic midfielder maybe there that we had talked about in the past the, the team needing like we just seem to lack that edge uh, to be able to make those moments sort of count to you know for somebody to beat scales in that situation and all of a sudden we're on the break in a way uh, instead we're conceding the goal and i kind of wonder if that is the sort of the quality problem that we're talking about like if we had a little bit of extra edge in that department maybe it goes from us conceding a goal to us making a chance and maybe getting a goal down the other end of the field um once Rovers were in the lead, like we failed to break them down really in any way. Like I know they were able to sit a bit deeper, but uh, I, I think Zahibo gave us, I'd say, exactly what was advertised on the tin. Like if you looked at his highlights reel when he was signed, what he does is he sits deep, he sprays passes left and right. You know, he's a good long passer of the ball, but he is not capable of really beating a man in the middle of the field. Uh, and he didn't do that. Uh, and neither did anybody else really. Uh, so as a result, like we sort of knocked it around a little bit, you know, sort of into the channels, back to fullbacks, across the, the back four. Um, but eventually that sort of broke down. I think even the commentary team sort of picked up on it, that we were occasionally like just firing a ball into the box towards Hubin with a really low chance of him succeeding to do anything with it. And that was the pattern of the game. Um, I think the third Rovers goal came a little bit against the run of play. Like, again, they weren't really threatening. But it was a good goal, a good strike, and you know that really settled the game. Um, so yeah, I, I think 
some quality differences there uh, and I don't really see an easy way for us to address that in the meantime. Yeah, it's kind of why I phrased the opening question sort of like that, because when you take the two teams that are facing each other, like for the past several years, you know, these have been two teams at the top of the league, uh, heavyweight squads kind of, you know, determining in their head-to-head games who's going to go home with the silverware. And it isn't the case in on this meeting because, you know, they've been a relatively stable ship. They've brought in established League of Ireland players, mostly from ourselves, and we paid a price for, for that. And also, we have had, you know, the catastrophic transfer window that we had just prior to this season, and we seem to pay a price for that as well. So I suppose we, we went in with a different level of expectation given the season where we've been having, and given the fact that only a month ago we were being hockeyed by rather average sides in the league. But... Um, there was a weird sense like I was one of the 100 that got drawn to be there so it was sort of there was a sort of sense of you know a return to normality of sorts to actually be attending a game rather than be just viewing it streaming but I was interested in whether it was a very different experience for you guys watching it on the stream but what was noticeable was the real negative that was a prominent feature this season the lethargy the lack of cohesion all of that was gone. So there was a strange scent of optimism from the performance for me, even despite the disappointing elements. First half an hour, I thought it was as good as we have played this season. Uh, and principally because we were, you know, we, we, we seemed to have an approach to the game, which was a little bit more like the possession-based short passing game. And with the personnel that we've got in midfield, I don't think they're the optimal mix in that I think we have a lot of players who are quite similar to one another, but they are mostly all comfortable on the ball. They're good technically. They're good at passing it. So when we had Stanton combining with Patching, combining with McElhenney, I thought we looked really good in possession. And it was 50-50, but to get our noses in front, give everybody a lift. And of course, you all know I'm on record. I'm a huge fan of Richie Tell. I didn't think my esteem for Richie Tell could increase, but he did oblige us getting caught cold in possession. Duffy kind of robbing him, picking his pocket, setting him up for the goal. That was a moment that I wouldn't be one of the boo boys to booze ex-players, but that was a moment that we could enjoy because I think Richie probably, when he has a few games, he probably wouldn't get caught like that. But he was very obliging to kind of still help Dundalk out. They, to get our noses in front, you know, obviously give everybody a lift. And we seem to grow in confidence a major talking point, obviously, was the, the penalty incident, which occurred shortly after that. And I like I was 100 yards further away from the incident than the referee, but it looked an absolute stonewall penalty. And I think, you know, even allowing for your the black and white glasses that most Dundalk fans would be looking at it through, seems that sli- scales just slipped, went down on one knee, lost control of the ball, panicked. Yeah, as you say, belly flopped on Duffy to bring him down. Absolute stonewall penalty. And I saw that James Rogers has sort of done a frame-by-frame Zabruda film-style breakdown of it on Twitter. And it's it's uncontroversial. It's an absolute penalty. Probably slightly short of a red card because, you know, Lopez is covering. But that is a penalty. It is a penalty. There is no debate about it. It's the clearest penalty that I've ever seen. And it would have been really interesting if we had a, you know, got that pano, perhaps gone 2-0 up against the fragile Shamrock Rovers side. Uh, maybe, maybe you know, you could have had a different outcome. I suppose 
the departure of Sloggett did seem to herald a, a change in that our, our midfield, like Sloggett in there is sort of, you know, he was obviously in the, in the sort of Chris Shields role. He was doing all the running, tackling, chasing. And he's the guy that you were looking to, to kind of keep that defense protected. And within a couple of minutes of his departure, we can see that, you know, the goals for Shamrock Rovers in the first half, they come from almost identical positions. It's, you know, just in front of the D of the box where your defensive midfielder would usually, you'd hope to see him. So there was a, a Chris Shields and Greg Sluggett style, you know, absence from that area of the field. And I think both shots were, you know, like, I don't think a BB is culpable for them. I mean, I think any keeper does very, very well to save those. They're hit with, you know, significant pace and accuracy and they're sort of in the corners of the goal. So I think both of them, both of them were pretty decent strikes. A BB did have one or two decent saves. Um, Green's goal seemed to be fairly routine. I mean, the lack of pressure on him as the ball comes to him in the box is probably a little bit disappointing, but the second half seemed to be a different animal. But um, yeah, that's Sean Gannon. Yeah, looks a good player. You know, wonder where they got him from. I, should, I just want to say one thing, by the way. I, 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 do, I don't want to make it seem that I think Abibi was at fault for the goals. Mm. I just think that Rovers had the confidence to take those shots. Um, that's what it felt like to me. They just seemed confident to do that because you've seen other teams do this before to have the confidence to challenge a keeper from that far out. Because, listen, the league knows that Abibi has struggled for form. So I just want to, I don't want to say I, I'm, yeah. I'm particularly blaming him, but I think it contributed to their strategy and it paid off. Yeah, I, perhaps so. And I think it's just something he's going to have to face because, I mean, I think every player, perhaps when they're at the start of the career, you know, if, if somebody thinks this guy is out of form or he lacks a bit of experience, you know, often you'll see them targeted by the opposition. So he's just going to have to face that, I imagine. Although um, they certainly weren't, like they, the goals that were overscored, they were, they were not down to goalkeeping errors as, as far as I can see. Although, you know, would they have taken that those shots in Gary Rogers? I think they probably would have. I mean, the ball just fell perfectly for Gannon for his sort of, you know, half volley uh, scales. Just they, they, that defensive midfield area just opened up for him. And suddenly he's, you know, 23, 24 yards from goal with the ball. Yeah, that, that is the other thing as well. I think so with the scales one as well, which is the defence um, gave him the opportunity. And mm. um, so... Well, that's where you're looking for your defensive midfielder to be in his way, you know, not giving him a clear sight of goal. And I suppose, I, I like, I think before the game began, I tweeted that we might have Wilf as centre half if Sonny and Andy couldn't make it. And there was kind of a withering response to that about Wilfred's performance. A lot of people, I think, the price tag or the alleged price tag that has come along with him is sort of now a very, very heavy weight on, on people's evaluation of his performance. It is telling that, you know, in the absence of Chris Shields from the squad, that uh, Greg Sloggett was preferred and Wolf was only on the bench. It looks like Vinnie Perth might have more faith in our homegrown players than, than um, in Wolf for that position. Or maybe it's a fitness or, or match fitness element. Who knows what was behind that decision? But... It does seem that I, I would imagine if Wilf had been signed from, you know, St. Pat's at a kind of sane fee, people might be quite impressed with his skill on the ball. But the fact that he comes with this international reputation and allegedly high wages and high signing on fee, people are now probably, you know, judging him on, on those terms, which is fair enough. 
But is it is it not just the fact that like you know very much like many of the other players who have been brought in, this was a signing of a player in a position that we didn't need. Okay, we we already had Chris Shields, we already had Greg Saga. That's adequate cover for a single position, and you've got other boys you can uh, bump in there. And once again, it's not Will's fault that he's in and out of international duty and in and out of quarantine. That was all stuff that should have been foreseen by the club when they decided to bring him in. And I also think like signing an international defensive midfielder probably didn't do much to persuade Chris Shields to stay at Dundalk as well. You know, when, when you're, there's an international being signed in your position, I mean, you know, it probably, it probably isn't, totally doesn't send out the right message. Now, taking all that into account, I mean, did you see Wilfred's introduction as a big turning point? I know just the sequence of the goals would indicate that it was, but I mean, do you think the criticism that he seemed to get is is maybe a little bit harsh? Will came in very late into the, the picture and, you know, as you pointed out, has been away on international duty and had to quarantine like numerous times already. And so I think like from his perspective, it's almost a little bit unfair to ask this question because you know, I, I don't know how many minutes he's played in total, but, you know, probably only about three games worth uh, or or maybe even less than that. And so I think for somebody coming from another country, like into the league, I think Damien has said time and again that it takes, you know, people quite a long time to to learn this league and sort of get used to the the style of it. I think it's asking an awful lot of him to immediately drop in and have, uh, you know, a really positive sort of impact. Uh, on games or demonstrate like a, a level of quality that um, you know is is above and beyond uh, I think the the other people uh, in the the squad so I don't know like I, I think it's clear like when he came in that he didn't have a dramatic positive you know impact on the game like I don't think he was particularly bad either but you know he wasn't you know sort of an order of magnitude better than say Slogget was uh, he as you say that the way that the game went uh, there was a couple of goals like immediately after Slugget went off that makes you wonder if it was, you know, down to his departure that, you know, maybe things opened up a little bit, but, but very hard to say. Um, and I, I just don't think uh, Wolf has had enough time uh, really in the team to get to know his teammates, to know the league, to, to know how his coach, whichever one is coaching him like this month, uh, wants him to play. And so I think, you know, in his case, it's down to like more time. Uh, the question is, how much more time have we got uh, before we need to see, you know, some kind of improvement? Yeah, it, in the cool light of day, so I, I was one of the people joining the chorus last night on social media, maybe, like, I suggested he might be part of some kind of uh, situationist uh, art hoax, where, like, an Italian Marxist art collective are going to fake a football career. Um, I, listen, I think you're all making great points in the cool idea. I think maybe the, the disappointment of the result. Um, I do think that the game turned when Slagat went off. Now, was Dehebo particularly bad? No, but I just don't think he did a lot. He can pass the ball, but I don't think he did a lot. He definitely hasn't had time. He's definitely, obviously, been out of the side a lot. He's definitely had to quarantine a lot. None of that's his fault. And I think you make a good point, uh, Ken, which is to say that, I suppose, strategically from the club, um, you know, that's that's on them. It's not on it's not on Wolf uh, any of that stuff. Um, definitely, you do need time to uh, adjust. Um, I think for me though, your initial point, I think for myself and I think with other fans, is the frustration, which is he comes with with such a big fee and rumored of a very high salary, 
We're being told there has to be cost cutting. We've lost, by the way, some of the greatest players to play for the club in the last year. And then we get in a player on the supposedly, you know, extremely high salary. Um, and that does add, it's not his fault, but it's part of the equation, which is we're told we have to drop players. We're told there has to be cost cutting. We saw it with Junior going out on loan. Um, so we've been told the knives are out. Uh, I remember once Jerry Malone had a tweet saying uh, that Peak Six are particularly concerned about Zahibo's salary. And it's like saying, well, you signed Zahibo, you gave him the salary, and now you're scratching your heads going, this is a problem, guys. It's your problem. You know, I think we all said, we said this in previous games. He clearly is talented. Maybe he needs time to adjust. Um, the whole quarantining going on international duty isn't helping. He is also coming in in the wake of attempting to replace one of the greatest servants of the club ever. That's, that's That makes it difficult. But I do think last night that the game did turn when, when Slogan went off. I do think the middle of the field uh, opened up more for Rovers. So it's not just, I don't think it's just having a go at him and his salary. I think last night the game did turn when he came on because I don't think he offered the same level of protection that Greg did. And I do think the salary is an issue for fans because if we're going to keep losing players to balance the books. Um, another thing about last night was, I mean, at the start of the game, they showed the two benches. And on our bench, you see these you know, players that have come in from abroad, probably on salaries. On the Rovers bench, I saw a bunch of, uh, you know, players that I know because I've seen them around the league and I know what they're capable of. And Rovers have a really strong squad now. Um, they've got options on the bench. And we've got lads on the bench who never get played. And, you know, you wonder what their salaries are. And it's just that difference in class, I think, was there last night especially when you look at the benches and you, you know people keep going on with the highest salary uh, bill in the country the highest salary bill of all time Jerry Malone claims the most expensive Irish team of all time um, and it's it's not good enough once again <laughs> we have to remember at the risk of going into our usual episodic rant about the owners we have to remember where the blame lies for this I mean you know I just I, I look at say the Zahibo signing and you scratch your head and you think well why you know we did not need strengthening in that area we had the best player in the league who's a defensive midfielder and if you're going to break the bank I think Shane Geegan said it on another LOI podcast he says would that money have got you Richie Towell or would it have got you Jack Byrne and um, you know all of this is rubbed in like I mean it all goes back to the the last transfer window you're watching Richie Towell combined with Sean Gannon Sean Gannon again last night you know, outstanding player. Ronan Finn makes the Rovers midfield still take over. Sean Gannon, uh, Sean Hoare, I should say, keeps things very secure at the back. So you're looking at all these ex-Dundalk players. Now, I don't mind, like, some of them, you know, left for personal reasons. Some of them left uh, because we simply didn't look all that stable a ship when they were coming back from England. But the, the, the outstanding one, which really sticks out as just a self-inflicted calamity, is Sean Gannon. When he puts the ball in the back of the net from, you know, whatever... 25 yards out you just think oh, that's a player that you know should still be on our books and it's just you know it, it it is it is iconic of the misrule of the club that we have you know whatever about losing a player to the north or losing a player to St. Pat's losing a player to your to your rival it's it's the equivalent of a, like a six-point defeat you know 
not only have you weakened yourself, you've strengthened them. We've talked about this a lot. Uh, and I think that that was really what was the deciding factor last night. I, I thought Vinny probably organized our team and selected us as well as we could be right now. And I thought we did have impressive moments. And of course, that first half an hour, we looked like we might get something from the game. But when you look at the structure of the team and you see that patching is now out on the right, you know, we still haven't solved that dedicated right wing player that's been you know an issue for years now we still haven't got somebody dedicated to that position uh patching played well i was impressed but you know uh, we we did i think we still don't have the right blend we have a lot of similar players now across the midfield they can play pretty tippy tappy football but how much did we threaten rovers like i mean did will patching really terrorize the rovers defense did he really hurt them or did any of the other midfielders, did Stanton really turn the screw on them? Did McElhenney really do them that much damage? I thought they were all, you know, decent enough. And they kept the ball and they passed the ball. But it seemed that Rover's plan was, once they got ahead, it was, you can have possession in your own half. You can see what you can do with it. And the answer in the second half was not all that much because we seem to lack a few crucial things. I mean, real pace on the flanks on the right-hand side, real pace in attack. You know, we found ourselves playing kind of long balls, a lot of which uh, rolled over the end line or rolled comfortably into Manus's possession long before Hoban or even McMillan, when he eventually came on, could chase him down. So there was a sense of inevitability in the second half that the sort of wind had gone out of our sails and we weren't really going to get back into it. And I think that's just due to the fact that, you know, we have inflicted a lot of carnage on the strength of the squad and um, Rovers have not. Yeah, I think the problem with a, a club recruitment policy that is very, let's say, enamored with players from outside the league is that often these players that are coming in are only very marginally better, if at all, than the players that are available inside the league. but the cost of bringing them in is often significantly higher than the cost of recruiting somebody from inside the league. And as a result, I think if you're talking about the, the cost effectiveness or the value for money that you're getting from these kinds of transactions uh, is much lower. And I, I think it's been shown time and again that the, the players most likely to succeed in the League of Ireland, like certainly in its current format, are young Irish players. Uh, whether that's somebody who's you know homegrown within the league, like say you know a, a Daryl Horgan or somebody like that, or somebody coming back uh, from from England, uh, maybe like Jack Burner or somebody like that, you know these players are much more likely to stick around in the league. Uh, they're much more likely to perform well in the league, uh, and I think the idea of bringing people like you know even a, a Nicholas Vermeland or somebody like that who is a very good player, like I say, maybe only marginally better than what's in the league, but very unlikely to stick around for sort of years to come. Um, and I think the recruitment policy that we've got at the moment is just wrong on that basis. Like, I don't think it's value for money. And it's no surprise to me that we seem to be sort of regretting these decisions. Uh, and some people are scratching their heads saying, like, maybe this wasn't a good idea. Yeah. And I, it, one other thing as well, you said there about Kenny, which is, which is patching. Um, because, you know, like a new signing, I think he was good. Um, but I don't think that's the best position to play him. Um, so... My hope is that I think I think he did put in a good shift. I think he showed what he can do, Derry, and it is like a new signing. So we can, you know, if we're going to extract some positivity here, it's like, you know, um, but I don't think he should be played out there. Um, and maybe we'll get to see the best of him if he is played more centrally, um, and it could add something in there. 
But uh, yeah, just as, as well as well as you said, the the double whammy was that you know to see you know our salary or our, our, the money we have being spent on certain players, and then we knew that you know inadequate contract offers were made to players that were on our books and to tempt potential players coming back um, is a huge part of the frustration. And yeah, it gets lumped onto Wilf, but um, that's, I think, uh, that's a massive part of it. When you see, when you know the stories about why certain players left, um, that was all fixable and it didn't have to be that way. Yeah, oh, well, like at the risk of going over all ground, I mean, you don't get away with making you know, catastrophic decision after catastrophic decision when you're when you're conducting player recruitment. And I think we saw that play out last night. And to Vinny's credit, I think there was still enough signs of improvement for us to draw some optimism. I would be fairly confident if Dundalk could play at the level they played last night and the style of football they played, you know, that short passing game. We saw the return of the short passing game, possession-based football. I think if we play like that, we shouldn't have a problem against Waterford and Longford, which we have been having, you know, this season. So that level of performance against almost anybody else, and I think you do okay, you get a result. Uh, it's just perhaps inevitable, really, when you have inflicted so, so many, you know, transfer window own goals on yourself that you're going to come up short when you're playing the team that you have gifted some of your best players to. If we turn to twitter for a moment there is some uh, some similar sentiments to what you just said regarding will patching albert gfc7 says will patching should be played in the number 10 role just behind hoban that's where derry city got the best out of him uh, there's quite a bit of talk about wilf about sahibo sahibo uh, looks out of his depth some people are saying i'm not sure if that's true i just think it's kind of like martin said you know he's not match hardened he's not battle hardened because he hasn't had enough games i just think it was you know it was silly to sign a guy that was going to be going and coming and quarantining i mean uh, how and who came in after the season like he came in a month into the season it just seems to me not a very well thought through um signing in the first place and of course that that um that price tag is is probably weighing heavy on him but once again that's that's not his decision. That's the decision of the people who thought, you know, this was a player that, you know, we, we can make it work despite all those factors surrounding him. Uh, Colin Mullen says, we looked okay in the first half, but always looked like our only chance would be on the break. We never laid it love in the second half. And I think that's generally tr true. The second half, we just seemed to oh, run out of ideas and edge. Still played some fairly decent ball, but really never, never made Rovers seem all that uncomfortable. Uh, Cormac Waters is saying perhaps we might have had more success in the second half if the plan was a bit more advanced and launch it to absolutely no one for 45 minutes would have saved us all the trouble of watching it. So once again, I think that was probably a vibe that a lot of people felt at the time. I don't know if, you know, in the, in the cold light of day, the day after, um, whether or not people are a little bit more forgiving. Uh, but generally speaking, a lot of the responses on Twitter seem to think that it was a fairly fair reflection on the um on, on the relative strengths of the squad despite 
the atrocious refereeing decision of of the related to the scales penalty that wasn't. Yeah, um, what Bob maybe didn't help either was those of us who were subjected to SRFC TV last night and their commentary. Um, I know the clubs are running their own setup, and I know yeah, there's going to be bias, but some incredible comments made last night. Um, the dog player got kicked uh, in the neck, and they were just ah, oh, just it's just a. Someone said it's just a kick to the chin at one stage. Um, and some other comments about Ndok. Um, There's a pretty outrageous, uh, biased, and somewhat petty statements made about Ndok throughout. There was a huge clamor as well for a red card for Sonny Nadestad as well after Hoare pulled him over himself and he tripped over him. That uh, It was a stamp. <laughs> like there was this, oh, he stamped out, he stamped out a red card type thing. You see it in replay. Like Hoare literally pulls him onto himself. Well, uh, you, you see, the thing is that not everybody can muster our levels of objectivity and clarity. <laughs> well, obviously. Um, <laughs> but uh, we're, we're obviously gifted with that. But it was noticeable within the ground as well. Like when Shamrock Rovers went into their comfortable league and the, their their crowd sort of came to life they weren't singing about their own players or their own team they were singing goading songs about Dundalk and Dundalk players so obviously perhaps our period of imperious dominance has, has kind of got to them a little bit well the other yeah the other thing I would say is that until the kind of the game turned you could only hear Dundalk fans who were one-tenth of the crowd. You could only hear Dundalk fans for a huge amount of it. It was really impressive, I thought. One of the constants of League of Ireland life is that Shamrock Rovers fans will always be, well, they seem to resent other clubs for existing just because they get in the way of Shamrock Rovers marching to the title every season. So, I mean, they're not a club that are kind of known for their... Uh, for their objective and level-headed fans. So shall we just say that that probably the Shamrock Rovers TV was probably true to the true spirit of Shamrock Rovers FC last night. Oh, absolutely. Mm. Did the club proud. But then again, you know, every, every panto needs a villain. Our attentions now turn to the previously unexplored territory of the Europa Conference. And um, we are playing Newtown AFC. An historic and, and aged Welsh club who we don't really know all that much about. But now that there seems to be, under Vinnie Pert, a sense of cohesion and coherence returning to the side, would you be more optimistic of a successful result on Thursday evening than you might have been a month ago? Yeah, I think you made a good point. If we play like we played last night, to some level of that, I think we'll get a result. Um, knowing as little as I do about Newtown, um, but I just think that um, you like definitely the short passing game came back. So that first half hour had a lot of positives. Even this in the second half, listen, there was a and we've seen this under Vinnie Purse. There's been a bit more drive. There's a slight more kind of you know energy about them. Um, and yeah, yeah, no, I I would be I would be confident enough, uh, even out, off the back of last night. Uh, I saw enough there which said, yeah, yeah, I think they can, uh, they can get through that round. Um be interesting to see like what he does with patching. Um, I think that could be, you know, uh, something I'd like to see, you know, to maybe utilise patching more because I think everyone has been the one kind of thing the Doc fans have to hold on to is that we're, we're getting Will back having seen what we saw. Um, so maybe more effective utilisation. Uh, but I, I, I think we'll be okay. Yeah, I realise we're we're seventh in the table, but if you ask me, should the the seventh best League of Ireland team be able to beat the seventh best uh, Welsh League team? The answer is on paper, yes. 
So, uh, I mean, admittedly, we don't know a huge amount about Newtown, don't know about their form uh, or their players, but you would certainly hope that the relative strengths of the league uh, would see us coming out on top in that tie. And I think a pretty favourable second round draw as well. So, you know, if things go well and form continues to improve and you know, Vinny gets more time with the players to sort of, you know, build a more sort of cohesive pattern, uh, you'd really hope that maybe we might go as many as three rounds in this competition. Yeah, and of course, in, in normal times, three rounds in European competition, pocketing six-figure sums as you go would give you a great platform for to build on for the coming season because we're now in a transition stroke rebuilding job. But of course, the great uncertainty remains, will Peak 6 be around? Will they depart in good graces, leaving us with our prize money? Or will they simply pocket that cash as one final like kind of act of larceny stroke sabotage? Well, I, th I think it is a, a big question as well for next year. You know, somebody made a remark on Twitter last night about the number of players that are signed up for, for next year. Uh, and I think that was down to Andy Boyle and uh, somebody else that I can't recall. Ryan O'Kane. Ryan O'Kane, yeah. Uh, Ryan O'Kane, yeah, yeah. So you really, like, what you want to see in terms of a, a strategy for next season, if we're already talking about building towards that, is, you know, a coach in place who is definitely going to be there next year, who is going to have a vision about, like, what he wants uh, in terms of the, the team and the, the staff for that team. Um and you want to be able to say to players like, here's the deal we're going to make you for, you know, next year and beyond. And you want to start doing that, you know, around about September or October uh, with a view to having people sign for next year. And I think the big worry at the moment is all of that is up in the air. Like if you're, you know, the likes of a Greg Sluggett, who we just talked about, like being pretty much an integral piece of the team now that Chris Shields is gone, is Greg going to be around like next February at Dundalk? Pretty hard to sort of make any firm guarantees about this kind of thing at the moment. And uh so, like, that, I, I think, is almost the bigger worry for me. Like, I know our performance this season isn't stellar, but, you know, at least we're not a million miles off Europe. Uh, you, you know, if we went on an amazing run, you might squeak it. We seem to be safe from relegation. But we could be looking at, you know, a, a real disaster at the end of the season if there isn't a, a solid recruitment policy in place by then. We're probably assuming, or we might be presuming, that Vinnie Perth will be around. And, of course, we don't know if his tenure is going to be extended beyond the end of the season either. And um, like, once again, there's, there is only so much uncertainty um, people will put up with before their patience runs out and they look for certainty elsewhere. So, you know, yeah, that's a question that could go either way. And, and, you know, you would hope that, um, you know, un unless there's a genuine malice there to do us as much damage as they can before they depart, you would hope that Peak Six will have the good grace to, you know, not not kind of pocket our prize money from Europe if there's if it should be forthcoming, uh, and and leave us something to rebuild with rather than just leave us you know in a post-apocalyptic sort of landscape of ashes, um, because they've already you know inflicted a lot of damage on the club in the last transfer window and the last end of season you know period. We could do without a reprise of that if they want to leave with any semblance of of dignity to their, let's face it, their their rather um, ruinous reign. Well, as your own point just sort of demonstrates, it doesn't even necessarily have to be malice. Just like a degree of disorganisation and you know inability to get the basics right will has already done enormous damage, uh, and probably most of the people who are on the staff at the moment have borne witness to that, and you know will be thinking. That they don't want to be next into the you know sort of looming 
six month contract offer or something like that like they will just go elsewhere and so even if peak six decide to stick around for the you know indefinite future uh if there isn't that level of organization like it's just going to be another catastrophe and given that we've already suffered like it's likely to be i don't say terminal but like it's going to be starting from sort of ground zero of nobody willing to work with us and uh, and no sort of uh continuity between even this year's team and next year's yeah because there is still a foundation there that uh, a new side could be constructed on we saw that last night i mean for a period of time you know we were competitive against the strongest rival squad in in the country so there there isn't a great deal with dundalk fc that needs fixing as we've been saying for a couple of years we probably need two or three players in key positions of course you know there may be a great deal of departures from the squad anyway um due to just some of the players who have come in are perhaps no longer affordable in a post peak six landscape but um i think a player a, a manager like vinnie pert if allowed to do his job would have us improving as a squad next season but like i say that that uncertainty about him and about the ownership and whether they're staying or whether they're going and what the budget will be and who can be offered what you know we we don't want to see that drift like it did last year past the end of the season you know into the 11th hour then a shambolic you know negotiating strategy conducted by somebody who really isn't equipped to to you know do that sort of work uh resulting in in more carnage i mean that's something which you know for it to happen once was bad enough but a reprise of that really would be unforgivable however we'll strike a more optimistic note we have european football to look forward to this week and we'll be hoping we'll have a reasonable chance of progression. Um, so we'll have uh, our first leg at home on Thursday, followed by uh, the away leg on Tuesday. And doubtless we will be back to report on the result of the first leg against Newtown AFC uh, on Thursday evening. But for now, thank you very much guys for participating. Uh, Martin Mullen and Rory Murphy. Thanks very much to you guys who are uh, listening in. And we look forward to chatting again on Thursday.